whether the golden rule says I should treat them the way I'd want to be treated, well, they should want to do that. So we try to follow a platinum rule of treat people the way that they'd want to be treated. And the easiest way to do that is either ask them or empower them to make choices themselves. Welcome to Open, Honest, and Direct, a podcast sharing stories from powerful leaders on what it takes to unlock their team's potential and all their screw-ups along the way. Each episode will take a behind-the-scenes look at how to build a high-performing team from the leaders who built them. Today, we're lucky to have Frank Reardon, the founder and CEO of DMC Engineering, a company that's been a staple on the best places to work list and now has over 170 employees in eight cities around the U.S., In this episode, Frank takes a dive into their hiring process and shares how it's helped fuel DMC's success and growth over the years. Enjoy. So Frank, you started DMC 23 years ago, and I imagine with probably just a handful of people. What's changed about you as a leader over the last 23 years where you've gone from your handful of leaders to now 170 employees and eight offices around the U.S.? Sure. I, actually, when I started, it, it was just me, the term uh, schmuck in a laptop. So a handful of people took a few years. And I think the only thing that I could say has been consistent over a 23-year journey since 1996 is that I wanted to start a company that I'd want to work for, even if I didn't own it. That's the only thing that I would say is uh, constant. Other than that, learning so many aspects of how to run a business let's say going from being a doer to being a manager to being a leader and all those transitions and being able to let go, understanding the importance of some of the things that are just intuitive today, like hiring and company culture and holding people accountable. Those are things that weren't even thoughts in my mind when I started. When I started, it was all about survivability of what can we do to keep cash coming in the door and keep uh, customers happy and going out and executing on the projects. That was most of my time and it's transitioned dramatically over that period of time. I had a similar question that someone asked me that I was interviewing. I was an entry-level engineer, and he asked, you know, so what, what have you learned since starting the company? And he was probably 22, 23 years old. And my question to him, of, well, you're about the same age as DMC is. What have you learned since you've been born? I mean, it's just, <laughs> there's no one thing. So many things that I'm not even aware of that are unanswerable in the podcast. Yeah, once you got to that point where cash flow started to be there, where you started to have more people, where you had to stop just being the doer and the salesman and started having to think about how you lead dozens, hundreds of people, you know, over 170 people. What's one thing you wish someone had told you before you got to that point? That's an interesting question because I often think about the do-overs and what do you wish you had done differently? And it's not as if I don't believe that things could have been better given the opportunity, but I also look at every setback, every failure as a teachable moment. One thing maybe, and I'm not even sure about this, would possibly be hiring support staff earlier, but I'm not sure if that would have made sense. I just know that I used to work so hard on doing every aspect of the business and running so lean, it aged me. It was hard and it was a tremendous sacrifice. But I'm not sure if I hadn't done that, if we would have had the same journey or not. 
Another aspect of things that I'll share with people of paying themselves first. I realized from the company, and it took me a long, long time to realize the benefits financial of the company. And that, again, changed the dynamic of my life. Because every aspect of the learning and the processing requires a foundation that needs to be built, at least in my experience. So you say, okay, make sure that you, for instance, hire the absolute best people and have a process for hiring That may not be appropriate when you're a company that's only hiring their first couple. It's something that we needed to grow into. I think intuitively, I always had a goal of hiring people that are smarter than I am. I didn't want to have to be the smartest person in the room, just the opposite. So that's something that I didn't have to learn. I'm glad that we followed pretty consistently of hiring great people, putting a process in place to understand how to do that repeatedly. That's taken time. How did you figure out that process and what does that process look like for you? There are a couple of things that I do pretty darn well. One, I'm pretty good at identifying and attracting really talented people. I think it's an intuition that I've got. The other is making connections with people. So when I was directly involved with hiring, I just had a decent knack for it. That's not scalable and repeatable. And so identifying the process is something that I've shared with dozens and dozens, actually hundreds and hundreds of people at different conferences and seminars I've spoken at. We've got three criteria that we hire for. So we're looking for very smart, really hardworking people that are a good cultural fit. Whenever I tell people that, you get the reflexive head nods like, yeah, that makes sense. And I said, as opposed to the people that are hiring the dumb, lazy assholes, no one's going to say the opposite. (laughs) Yeah. But, but on average, the average company is hiring average people. Not many people are going to admit, oh yeah, we're hiring the first person that seems like a good fit. So to answer your question, like how did we come to the realization and that this is so important, I started looking around at the higher performing people at the company and said, we want more people that are like that. So it was a bit of iteration and defining what works. And I know that this may be controversial for some people. I really want to start straight up by saying that I could not get a job at my own company. So it's a good thing that I started a company I'd want to work for because I'd love to work at DMC. And since I own it, I don't have to worry about getting hired here. But criteria that we're using, okay, smart. We recruit at tier one universities and we are automatically putting a filter in place for the students in the engineering programs that we hire from. We feel there's a high correlation between working hard and GPA. And of course, that does not mean that there's not hardworking, smart people at second tier universities or that don't go to college. I'm not by any stretch saying that's the only place to find them. I'm just saying it's been the consistent place for us to find them. And then the good cultural fit, what that means to us, is the people that want to do the work that we do. So we're in automation and software development and the intersection of engineering and computers. We want people that are tinkers, people that are really, really engaged, energized by doing the type of work that we do. And then also the type of people that are good collaborators and uh, you can put in front of a customer and have a consultant type of, of mindset. You know, it's a really interesting model. And and I think we've talked about this before. And what you're saying, and you've said it already, is it's not that you can't find top performers outside of your scopes that you're looking in, outside of the ranges. But what you've said is we've found so much success in these areas through our iteration that this is what works for us. And that's really, really important to identify 
I think is just like what works for you and what makes sense. And also you lead a company of engineers. Engineers are a different breed of people that are often can be introverts. How has that impacted the way you've managed, engaged, and built this company? Certainly there is a degree of truth to engineers being more introverted, but that doesn't mean that all engineers are introverted. And I think that the engineers that we look to hire, like I've said, are a good cultural fit. And part of that is that they are happy to be engaged with their coworkers and with clients and so forth. So that's part of the profile of what we look at and look for. And how do you, in that process, determine that part of the cultural fit that they're going to be able to work with one another and work with clients well? What are some indicators you look for in the interview process? The biggest one is that we do an on-site interview, which... If they're coming in from out of town, we might have a group dinner that they'll be part of and get together with recent engineering grads. And then we have an all-day interview that includes a lot of technical interviews, a lot of a uh, you know, standard HR interview. We have some team building activities that they'll take part of. There'll be a lunch activity. And one question that we ask everyone that is involved in the process is, would you like to, to have this person as part of your team? And so we're getting input from a lot of different people. And one other thing that we added relatively recently, it's such a simple, simple tool that we put in place, is we send out to every candidate before they come on site an alignment survey. So we want to see whether or not their interests of what they want to do are aligned with what the work entails. And so some of it is just determining what functional area they might be most interested in and then maybe what geographic areas uh, of the country they would be interested in. But then we'll ask questions like, I'd really enjoy client interaction and have a scale on that. And we've had people answer, no, I would not enjoy that. And That's somewhere telling. along the line, <laughs> yeah, it's like somewhere along the line, we fell down that we didn't ask them that question prior, but we also asked them that question before they've invested a couple of days of their time. And we've invested a lot of time and a little bit of money to have them come and visit one of our offices and say, okay, if that's not what you want to do, well, we might not be a fit for you. So asking me simple questions of how interested are you doing the type of things that we do? And there's not like any psychological science behind this. It's more along the lines of just asking the basic questions that are important to us. Yeah, I mean, it sounds just direct and straightforward, right? Do the people that are gonna be working with this person wanna work with this person? And I love that you talk about having them come in for the day, but also going out to a dinner before and lunch. And so you're interacting with them outside of a standard interview. And then I think what I haven't heard often in what you do is you send that follow-up asking just the direct questions again. So if you're covering yourself, if there's anything that you missed or overlooked, it's a really, really simple, but easy thing that anybody can put into their process, right? Send a follow-up set of questions that are really important to you that you want to make sure you get clarity on the answers. And even if the person's answering it for a second, third or fourth time, it might give you some different information. So it seems like hiring has been a huge part of your keys to success. My curiosity is DMC is a company that's consistently been a top place to work. It's always on the crane's best places to work list. I visit the office and you could tell it's one of those places that people want to be at and be with each other. 
as you've grown from smaller team to bigger team to multiple offices around the U.S.? How have you been able to maintain that? It's like a lot of things that happen here, far more of a bottom-up versus top-down approach to getting things done and empowering people to make decisions, empowering people to choose what they want to do. So I just got back last night from Seattle and our office there, we opened up less than a year ago and it's sized for maybe 15 people. We have 10 that are working out of that office right now, but there's an additional 20 that are visiting from all over the country. Six of our offices are visiting that office and they're flying out on their own time and their own cost to hang out with their colleagues and DMC, the company, we lightly subsidize what's called a YOE or a YOE yearly office event for people to share time to just socializing and hanging out together and for a lot of them enjoying a new city they've never been to. And each of our offices is able to sponsor one of those trips every year. And it costs the company very, very little, a few thousand dollars per trip. But the benefit we get from it is easily tenfold what it costs. We try to facilitate strong relationships amongst people and where they're choosing what they're going to do rather than saying, okay, everyone, here's our company picnic. Attendance is mandatory. Everything is voluntary and people choose to participate or not. And one thing that I I share with all new employees, with all employees, I'll tell them, and uh, it sounds like I'm joking when I'm sharing it with them, but I'm not. I say, a company does a lot of things to to manipulate you into becoming friends with one another. And manipulate probably isn't quite the right term, but it's a funny way of putting that, yeah, there's activities that you're going to want to participate in and you know, naturally end up building relationships and bonds with your coworkers. And that becomes such a stronger team in so many ways. Oh, I, I love it. it. Sounds like you fund for every office where they can put on their own event and you just give them autonomy and choice to do it without forcing it, which as companies, we often try and say, as you said, we're going to do this offsite together, everyone together, everyone has to come. And what you're saying is we're going to foster that in a number of different ways and let people have choice in their decision. Every office, every month has got a budget for an activity fund, use it or lose it budget to go out and do whatever they want to do as a team. And anyone can choose an event, an activity, just with a few simple rules that the activity has to be legal, uh, has to be inclusive. So they have to invite everyone. Not everyone has to show up, of course. It has to have a minimum number of people. The smaller the office, the fewer people required. And then they have to take photos or videos. Beyond that, go to town. I I trust people's judgment to do appropriate events. And people absolutely love these types of events. They they get to choose things that they want to do. Term the way I understand it, people say, oh, golden rule, treat people the way you'd want to be treated. And they're like, okay, you know what? For dinner tonight, we're going to have a fantastic filet mignon and a good bottle of wine. And oh, I'm dealing with a vegan who doesn't drink. But if the golden rule says I should treat him the way I'd want to be treated, well, they should want to do that. So we try to follow a platinum rule of treat people the way that they'd want to be treated. And the easiest way to do that is either ask them or empower them to make choices themselves. I love that. The platinum rule, treat people the way they want to be treated. And the best way to figure out is ask or just empower them. What has been your biggest fuck up along the way? I have a tough time with the question of, you know, maybe being too adversarial with difficult clients 
where I feel that they've not been fair to us and therefore escalated situations. And um, that indirectly led us to having Patrick Swayze as our patron saint of customer service. So there's an old clip. And my guess is a lot of people listening to this are a little bit too young to have seen the movie Roadhouse. But there's an old clip from it. If people just look up Roadhouse, be nice where uh, Patrick Swayze is telling a group of bouncers at this rickety old county bar that even when the customer's an asshole, still be nice about it. And we've lost some business as a result of me escalating things because of this mirroring the behavior of people who are upset. And that's something that I've tempered myself over the years. So the same you with know, getting upset and focusing on a person instead of the situation over time. But there's not any one existential, holy cow moment that this really, really screwed up. We're not what I would call a bet the ship type of organization, nor am I that personally. We're making just small incremental bets that over time add up. And they've added up pretty well. What are you most proud of? Or what is one of the things you're most proud of from your work? I've seen people grow from entry-level engineers to leading offices and technically growing where they they know nothing and they're becoming renowned experts in their fields, just seeing people grow personally and professionally. And being a, a part of that is by far the you know, most proud of. That's awesome. Frank, thank you so much for having the time and sharing your lessons and your stories. And this was just awesome. Thank you. Of course. Want to hear more great stories like this one? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. And you can always drop us a note at openhonestanddirect.com. Cheers.